It's Tennessee Titans talk. What you're about to hear is the night one reaction from me, Michael, and Landon. A really great episode. Obviously, we love this stuff. We talk a lot about Caleb Farley, talk about where the quarterbacks win, and of course, we discuss uh, where the Titans might go with pick 53. But before that, last night, we all watched this together. We've been vaccinated. I just hit record. Landon and John had no idea I did that and just wanted to get the reaction of the Caleb Farley pick. And as you guys are going to hear in, in the first uh, minute or so, John didn't have a lot of words for it. Landon was high on it. Landon is high on his upside and his athleticism. I am too. But John, I think it's going to take a little while to warm and you're going to hear that. Thank you for listening. Appreciate what you guys do. Share this episode if you like it to your favorite Titans fan and tighten up. Yeah! Defensive back, Virginia Tech. Oh, there you go. I feel good about this. I'm really surprised because of the injury history. Nathan, you're always worshiping. I the hate the NFL. Staff. I hate they cleared football. Him. I mean, they cleared him, obviously. We got a good medical team. But is he going to be ready to play and go? He's supposed to be ready by training camp, recovery-wise. Didn't play a lot. Of corner, but boy, he's raw. We got a lot of skills. It's the same thing as Jeffrey Simmons, a top ten player, falls because of health, and we take him. Mm, I think Jeffrey Simmons had a little bit more, but yeah, I mean he's high upside, and you like that from your first round pick. I don't like needs picks or high floor. I mean the guy's got a very high ceiling, but he is a risky player. John, are you able to speak? I'm not. I think this is a horrible pick. Is that the backup, John? No, he's fine. He's he playing it. I mean, it wasn't 22. I mean, like, they did swing for the fences there. Why is he by himself at his own draft party? That's why. Is that Wines up there by himself? Yeah. Great. You okay? I'm going home. I'll see you guys on Monday. Tennessee Titans talk. Pretty wild Thursday night. Excited to be with you guys. Day two of the NFL draft. Got Landon here with me. Michael Burgett is good enough to join us. Uh, big fella, of course, is at work and cannot join us, but we hope to have him on uh, in our next episode. He was with um, Landon and I last night, and he certainly has a lot of opinions in reaction to uh, what the Titans did last night and, of course, the rest of a, a pretty eventful night for uh, the entire NFL. Guys, let's go ahead and get started. What did you think just generally of the NFL, just the production last night? Landon, we'll start with you. I'd say the quality was pretty good overall. I didn't really see any glaring misses. There were a few times late in the show where they cut to Goodell as he got to the podium and started talking where the talking heads were unawares that the pick was about to be made, but no picks were missed. Film and takes were given on pretty much every prospect. The amount of sob stories and human interest stories was almost non-existent compared to last year, which was a welcome change of pace. It was just football, just the drama of the draft and not the drama of off-the-field human character events that happened years before. 
Michael, do you think um, that lack of human interest stuff was some feedback from just how heavily that's been poured on? Or do you think it's because of what this country's been through the last year? It's, uh, people, it's, it does seem, like Landon said, people want to focus more on the celebration. Uh, and I, I found that uh, kind of nice. It, it didn't seem like they were needing to manufacture emotion last night. We've all been through a pretty emotional year. Um, we were talking pre-show about the chair. And uh, that was kind of a weird thing. And I, it seems like one of those things in a, um, like a corporate meeting or, um, or session where they're preparing Michael where somebody said, hey, what if we brought Roger Goodell's chair, which is a big symbol of last year, and we just put it on the stage. And then that sort of like actually wound up happening. Uh, I think it was easy to criticize the chair, but as it went on, it was cool to see the different fans and personality. Michael, what? What did you think of the chair on stage last night? Uh, I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was a great concept in order to bring the fans in and get them involved. Because, again, last year we had no fans. It was all virtually. So it was kind of that disconnect that kind of took place between uh, the draft and the fans. So having it uh, with an audience and be able to integrate uh, at least a fan from every team into that chair so you could kind of – uh, see the excitement, see the emotion, and and also the the picks that were there, uh, they got to interact with that fan afterwards. So I thought that was a really cool thing. And uh, and kind of going back earlier with the production of everything, I thought they did a good job with it. It kind of they tried to do the best that they could, given that you couldn't have a full capacity uh, like two years ago. But they kind of melded in uh, the band that was playing in the background. You had kind of the concerts pre pre show and uh, just the just the feel of it felt a little more back to normal. And then as far as like the uh, sob story, that type of thing, I think they they went more on the celebratory stuff. So when they did talk about uh, the backgrounds of the athletes, uh, they highlighted the the triumphs more than the tragedies. And I think a lot of that was from the feedback. People wanted to hear more about the good stuff and not the bad right. stuff. I'll say with the chairs, the production team in charge of getting the fans on the stage did a really good job of picking the nicest looking, sweetest grandma and grandpas out there. Because it's really hard to hate on the chair because I think it's a really odd, I would dare say stupid concept. The commissioner of the National Football League, this guy who's worth over $100 million, a a chair from his basement where he did a virtual draft, fans are going to sit on it. It's going to be this thing. It sounds really dumb, but all the fans up there they were either super fans, like the Miami fan for the Waddle pick was dressed out in all Miami orange and blue, looked really fun. And then for the most part, it was just like I said, sweet grandma and grandpas, and it's hard to hate on it. And like you said, when the players get to interact with the fans some, it's really sweet. I think the concept itself is just laughably bad, but the execution was good enough. I think that's well said. The NFL draft has really taken off and has a life of its own, whereas Michael, when we were um, you know, younger, it didn't have that. And it's because they've celebrated the fan. I, I see the NFL draft, Michael, as like NASCAR when it w- really became a really big deal like uh, in the 80s and 90s. And all NASCAR was was a celebration of the fan. They let the fan take over – races it just became this big weekend this big and so what's funny is the nfl draft reminds me more of like bonnaroo or like a nascar 
race than it does an NFL game because you see all these passionate people from all walks of life, all ages, and they're just over the top. But it's fun and it's cool. And I think Landon makes a good point that that chair sort of unintentionally brought that out, like all the really interesting people that are just love their team. Well, and you think about it too, the NFL has really kind of expanded into a year-round league and so they do these type of things like have the draft kind of be that big festival type atmosphere they have a televised event where they just show the schedules like next month they're literally just going to have a schedule reveal and they're going to deck it out in you know in a full primetime event that's that's how the nfl has become and so when they started a couple years ago taking it out on the road it even more so made the draft a spectacle and event. Uh, whereas when, you know, we were growing up, it was, it was a, it was cool and you got to see it. I mean, it was in radio city music hall and that has its, you know, flair and drama with itself, but it's not anything like a Bonnaroo or that type of festival event where it's become now where you want to be a part of it, even though you may not know 95% of the people that's being drafted, you just want to be there for the party. And I think that's one thing that Nashville really developed that into is that it's a party. And so now every city moving forward, especially Vegas next year, when they get the draft, they're going to try and top what Nashville did in making it that type of party festival type of event. I agree with that 100%, and I think Cleveland would have given effort at that uh, if they hadn't been in, you know, with some restrictions. But even then, I think Vegas is going to try to take that baton from Nashville and kind of say, here's what our city can do with it, because Nashville put a stamp on it. I think that will change every draft moving forward. I'm really proud of that. Um, um, I think Nashville has a claim that they could host it every year. That's how well it went. Some events are – in the same city every year. And I think it's good for every city to have it, but I mean, really that's how well Nashville did. And regardless, uh, I think we are sort of the template. I think Vegas will kind of look to us. Uh, that's a really good point. Let's talk about the guys who got drafted last night. We're of course going to start at, um, with our pick, uh, Farley at 22, uh, Caleb Farley, uh, was a really well thought of uh, a lot of people thought a top 10 or top 15, um, talent in this draft. Uh, there are some back issues uh, there. He didn't play last year. He just played a season or, or so uh, at corner. Um, he came to Virginia Tech as a wide receiver, but Virginia Tech has a really good tradition for defensive backs and the NFL um, throughout history and lately. Uh, Kyle Fuller, other guys. Uh, Farley's got a lot of talent, but he has big questions about that back. Now, Cornerback has become a more important position in the NFL draft over the last several years just because the type of player um, in the very specific skill set that it takes to be a good um, NFL cornerback and defender, um, it's just changed, especially uh, this is a more pass-happy league. So these guys are fewer and far between. Uh, we saw two corners go in the top ten. Um Last night, last year, we saw a lot of guys jump into the first round we didn't think would be there. Um, You know, for me, 
one thing we can rely on, I don't think John Robinson has taken a lot of chances on injury. He's taken injured players, but it's guys that had kind of a singular injury and knock on wood, they haven't had a lot of issues with that. It worked out well for Jeffrey Simmons and Corey Davis as far as they got healthy and stayed healthy. I feel like, Michael, they know, and we have a reputation of having an above average, a really good medical staff. I feel like this isn't, well, he has back issues or blah, blah, blah. I feel like we cleared him where other teams maybe didn't. I feel like we absolutely cleared him. He is a more raw player, even if he didn't have that back issue. But I think the really good teams over time, I think the first round is for upside. The first round is you take a guy, even if he's risky, that if he hits and he hits his potential, he's a multiple-year pro bowler. You see guys kind of fit needs in the first round and do that. I think that's dangerous. I think we swung for the fences here. Michael, do you agree with me that they probably mostly cleared his back? That's the only way that he went um, uh, to us last night. And uh, how do you feel about Farley overall and just kind of his upside? Well, I feel like that the medical staff cleared him. Uh, otherwise, they wouldn't have drafted him. I mean, they they had to have done their due diligence. And I think that says a lot given that we're just now starting to come out of the whole quarantine and COVID and all this stuff. And they're able to have a little more access, even though technically they had no combine and all they had was pro days they were able to meet with him and they felt that he was uh healthy enough or would be healthy enough uh when when training camp and the season starts that they were able to take a risk on him me personally i did not feel very comfortable with this pick i thought that they were several other players that they could have looked at uh I thought that receiver they would have had a much better value at in going that way. Uh, even if they wanted to go corner, I thought Greg Newsom would have been a much better pick and a lot more safer pick. Uh, I like Newsom, but to my point earlier, that's my thing, Michael. Newsom is a really good player, and he fits the J-Rob model, but he, he just has a lower ceiling. I think we went – I think we sung for the fences there, but I think a lot of Titans fans are uh, kind of echo what you're saying. Um, sorry, go ahead. Well, and, and the, the thing that really struck me was uh, a friend of mine posted on Facebook uh, last night after the pick, and he said, facts don't get better with age. My problem started at the same age as Farley. Nearly two years ago, I went in in the same surgery that he had. Tonight, I'm laying here with no feeling in my left leg. His injury is concerning. Absent of that, he's an elite talent, hoping he can get and stay healthy. That's my concern is that yeah, he had multiple surgeries on his back. It may not be much, but it also could be a serious thing because we just don't know. And I think that to me, especially with last year and picking Isaiah Wilson and the complete and utter disaster that was, I felt like really you need to get a guy who has a high ceiling, uh, but also is highly reliable and, I just feel like that, especially with a lot of those wide receivers that were available, there was a lot of high ceiling wide receivers that you could have drafted right there and then gotten in the second round that cornerback that you need to get. The 2020 draft class that just bombed for us on every level is actually making me feel better about the Farley pick 
because we got nothing out of that draft class. And like you said with Farley, Farley can easily be out of the league in three years. If you bomb on two first-round picks, a whole draft and a first-round pick, it doesn't matter how good J-Rob has been, how good he's made us. If you have two drafts that bad, you're in hot water. So to me, because things were already so risky, he, we just had to have known that Farley, we believe that he can get better. And then just going to the actual talent, he was to me, he's in line with J.C. Horn for the best cornerback in the draft. He has the most coverage ability upside. Like Nathan said, he's a former receiver. And I've listened to some excerpts on the PFF podcast with Collinsworth, and he talked to Sherman. Farley is really smart, and he wants to learn. He knows he's only been playing the position for two years. He's got a lot of growth, but he just has so much upside. When he played Notre Dame in 2019, he was clocked at 24 miles per hour. That's pretty much as fast as anyone in the NFL got last season. So he can run with anyone. He's 6'2", 200. And all of his issues, his ball skills, his coverage ability, and his tackling come from a lack of experience. Any receiver that only played a year and a half of college cornerback is going to have those issues. And in 2019, he was elite, and he had a bulging bis- he had a bulging disc in his back. So he wasn't even 100% in 2019 when he looked like a future superstar. Yeah, so I think this is the kind of the back and forth the Titan fans are having. Uh, Michael, I'll tell you, last night John sort of um, echoed your sentiment. I like this, but um, there is a lot to like about him, and there are some reservations. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I personally like when we swing for the fences. I know it's risky. Now, if he has a bad back, that's not, that's not going to work for me. But I don't think we take guys uh, and hope they get better. I think – and the player himself says, you know, I'm past it, it's over. And uh, I really hope and think that, that we've checked him out. It's going to be really interesting to see. Um, of course, we've got uh, the rest of the NFL draft starting tonight at uh, 6 o'clock Central. Um, but last night, um, you know, they bill that, Michael, now as big-time primetime. I'm sure they got great ratings. Uh, and, you know, the fireworks were there. Um, we'll start with you, Michael. What was your biggest surprise for you, uh, for the entire evening last night? Uh, for me, the biggest surprise was two offensive linemen and where they got drafted. Uh, the first one is Panay Sewell and the fact that he did not get drafted by the Bengals and they instead went with Jamar Chase and he dropped to Detroit. And the other was Alex Leatherwood and the fact that he got drafted in the first round by Alabama and nobody expected him to to even be a first-round pick. So those two were probably the ones that stood out to me the most in uh, a draft that had quite a number of head-scratching moments post-pick number two. For me, I would say the Giants training down to 20, which was a really good move, but then they take Kadarius Toney. One, I know almost every talking head, every media guy loves Kadarius Toney, had him in the first round mocks. To me, Kadarius Tony is not good. He's a late second at best. He had 600 yards total receiving in the three years before last year when he had 900. His breakout age, his production metrics, all the stats say a guy who's short, he's 5'11", 190, not a great route runner, not elite speed-wise, really with the ball in his hands. That's not a guy you take in the first. That's not a guy you take at 20. To me, he's the perfect red zone highlight guy. When he pops up on red zone, he has a crazy catch and run. It's fun to watch it happen. But you're not seeing the other 90% of the time where he's doing nothing because he's raw, he's old, he's small, he's not that productive. And it's just 
outside of run after the catch with the ball in your hands, what does Kadarius Tony do better than Elijah Moore, who, who Todd McShay was saying was almost the unanimous wide receiver four on teams' boards? Elijah Moore is better than Kadarius Tony in almost every way. Why are you taking the guy who's older and worse? So we go through this every year. Um, sometimes we we question these picks. I, Tony's one of the more polarizing guys in the first round for sure. But when they made that trade, and it looked awfully good, they went down um, to 20 from 11. Uh, they picked up a first-round pick next year and other stuff. But at the end of the day, you still got to pick the guy. So I, I just wonder, as far as what they need, I, I didn't make a lot of sense of that. But we're going to find out pretty soon. Uh, Landon makes good, a good point about Tony and his tape. Reminds me, although he's maybe not quite as explosive, uh, of Percy Harvin where – Boy, he can look good in one or two plays. But a lot of times, uh, you know, he's just not super consistent. So, uh, we'll see there. Um, Michael, I like your point about Leatherwood. Uh, that was um, – we knew Vegas was going to – they just do what they want to do, right? And they take who they want to take. Um, the Colton Miller thing more or less worked out for them because uh, about the same time in the draft three years ago, they reached on him. But – um, I will say um, Leatherwood is a good player, and he has a high motor, and he has good character. And I do think with uh, the guys they've picked and kind of reached on the last few years, I think that's kind of a, a commonality there. But he does seem a little maybe limited, especially if they want him to play tackle. Maybe they don't. But as a guard, I, th I think he could be a pretty good go. Um, and everyone says, well, they could have traded back and got him. Well, maybe the deal wasn't there. And when it comes to – Offensive tackle and cornerback, you don't know when a guy's going to go. So, we'll see about that. The good thing is these get settled on the field. Um, but you make a good point about Leatherwood. That was um, that was quite a bit surprising. Let's talk about these quarterbacks. Uh, Lance went to San Francisco. That mystery was solved. That was the first big domino to go. And uh, then we waited a little while. I, I like Chicago moving up. They had to give up next year's first-round pick and some stuff. But there's a lot of negativity today, I think, in the national media about Chicago, and they just do seem like, like they can't get out of their own way. But, Michael, it occurs to me they were a playoff team that, despite not getting a lot of production. And, yeah, uh, from the quarterback position. And, yeah, they do weird stuff like it seems like they take a tight end in the second round every year. But it is a good roster, Michael. And I think Justin Fields is ready to go play in a cold-weather place and be a leader. I'm high on him. None of these guys are 100%. But I think by the end of the year he'll be playing, and I think he will play better than any quarterback has played uh, in Chicago in a very long time. I like the fit. That is a good roster. Now, they have to draft consistently. They have to take a page from Baltimore and build their drafts around this guy, starting right now. And we saw Baltimore do that very well with Lamar Jackson. Um, so, what do you like the fit to Fields to Chicago, Michael? What did you think about the trade value? Moving forward, uh, how good can Chicago be? And then, uh, Landon, I'll ask you the same questions. Well, for me, I thought that fields to Chicago just makes sense. Uh, they have struck out on getting quarterbacks in the past, uh, that not taking the right guy. They, they would take the wrong guy. Obviously, the last example of that being Mitchell Trubisky. 
and passing on guys like, uh, yeah, Wolf. Uh, all, 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 I mean, I don't, I don't need to go into like Watson like, and Mahomes. Yeah, absolutely. Watson and Mahomes. I mean, they over and over again, like they, they would pass on the the top guy, and this time they understood that Fields is the number two guy. Uh, I, I feel like to a lot of people, uh, and he just he slid right down to them, and you know, could could he have lasted a couple more? I don't think they wanted to take that risk. They wanted to make sure that they got their guy as opposed to other years where they <laughs> would get the wrong guy. I think that if they commit to him as the guy, they can surround him with the talent. They've already got some talent up there with Allen Robinson and David Montgomery and some of these other guys. Like th- They have a kind of core offense there. They just need someone to get behind the reins and steer the horse where it needs to go. And I feel like with Fields, he is that type of leader. We, we've seen that at Ohio State, how he has taken that leadership mantle and taken control and gone toe-to-toe with the likes of Clemson and Alabama, which has those rosters stacked full of NFL talent. And he's gone toe-to-toe with them and, and in some cases, you know, bested them. Uh, so I feel like with him, if they if Chicago just gives him the opportunity, which I think they will, and they put the pieces in place, which I think they will, because I think they've learned their lesson. Uh, I think that they have a lot of success going forward, especially given the fact that you've got Green Bay, who who knows what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers and uh, Love and and that situation of you know how how many years before you know that's going to get solved uh you've got detroit which you know they're they're with a new qb but we don't know how long jared goff's going to last there uh and you've got minnesota which you know i love Kirk cousins but you know he, he's not been as clutch as he should be at times so justin fields can go right in in chicago and make a difference uh maybe not this year although who knows because you know we saw justin herbert make an impact uh but two three four years down the road he could be the quarterback in the nfc north yeah fields to chicago was the steal of the draft the best pick of the draft period and you talk about adding talent around him yes the bears traded a future first but they kept their second and third this year that usually doesn't happen they have Allen robinson darnell mooney who had great advanced analytics despite having awful quarterbacks Montgomery, like you said, was good down the stretch. The offensive line needs work. Their cornerback room got a bit worse, but they can add offensive linemen around him, and they can add another receiver, and that team's good to go. Yes, they were they were frankly a bad playoff team. Like that, there's a reason they got there's a reason they got the crap beat out of them by the Saints. But they get an upgraded quarterback. He's going to get better talent. The defense is going to bounce back. They're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, I think it's that simple, and um, we'll see. But uh, it, it all comes down to how he plays and, and I guess, how he plays early. But um, everyone knows I'm high on him. He was my, my second-rated guy in this draft. And so, honestly, I hope the best for him. I think it worked out well for him because I, I think this is um, this is a good team. This is a good roster overall. Well, obviously, the other big news at quarterback was uh, Mac Jones went 15th to New England. This had been mocked a lot for a long time. After Mac Jones didn't go to San Francisco, I thought he might slide even further. 
New England obviously is looking for their quarterback of the future. There's a lot of debate about Mac Jones. Uh, when I watch his film, I kind of go back and forth. There are a lot of things I like, the progression, the leadership, uh, he's heads up. Um, and he has a body that, that could take hits, and he seems like a really tough player. Honestly, the arm strength, it's not bad, but it is not elite. And the, you do see uh, those great Alabama re- wide receivers kind of come back to the ball just a bit. I wonder how that translates. But he does have really good middle-of-the-field accuracy, intermediate accuracy, and uh, he gets the ball out. Um, I don't – he doesn't have um, a lot of the physical stuff that you would ideally want. Um, I, I don't know, Michael. I know you've we've talked on this podcast before. I don't see him quite as a first-round talent. It's so hard to measure quarterbacks at Alabama because in this year more so than ever, their preparation and what they do and the expectations, uh, they were – markedly better than any team in college football so it's really hard uh but of course i wish him the best he is a person this is a good uh place for him to go but i still question the pick and i wonder if michael this isn't that crossroads for new england if this doesn't work out people may say this and it may not be fair that um tom brady wasn't the system quarterback i think new england was the system tom brady is going to be remembered differently. I think there is pressure on Bill Belichick and uh, the entire Patriots organization to successfully move forward from Brady. They don't need to win a Super Bowl, but they need to get back and be competitive. Uh, Belichick may look easy with backups over the years uh, when Brady was hurt or serving suspension, Uh, but I think his legacy in large part, the icing on the cake anyway, is going to come down to a guy from – uh, Jacksonville, Florida, that that played uh, one year basically for Alabama. Well, I think that it was it was like a gift to them that Mac Jones fell in their lap. Like they, everybody was saying that if New England was going to get him, they were going to have to trade up. And of course, there was you know the whole scuttlebutt about him going to San Francisco, which I never believed that for one second, just because it just never made any sense for San Francisco to have traded up and franchise or uh, made it, you know, where they had to, you know, bankrupt themselves to go get that third pick to then spend it on Mac Jones. But for new England, it just makes sense that when it fell right to them, that they would draft him. He kind of fits that Belichick mold of, you know, a, a system quarterback where, you know, he's going to make the right plays. He's not going to, uh, he's not going to mess up and, you know, put you in a bad situation. Uh, you know, him and Saban, Belichick and Saban have that great relationship where, you know, I'm sure Saban was letting him know, you know, everything there is to know about Jones and letting him know kind of the, the faults and the, and the, and the good things about him. And so I, I feel like that they knew what they were doing and, I think they were kind of celebrating a little bit the fact that he dropped right into their lap and they didn't have to give up anything and he's right there and you know, they can let him sit a year or two, depending on how Cam Newton does this year uh, or they can just throw him right in and and go right at it. I, I think that for the most part, this is what Belichick wanted and they've got assets 
uh, to build around. And you've got all these players that are coming back uh, that sat out last year uh, with, with the COVID, uh, you know, set out. Uh, they have it right there where they can just jump right into being a playoff team and being a contender in the AFC. And I feel like Mac Jones fits what Belichick wants. And I think really when Belichick is at his best, it's when he has his guys in place and he's, you know, he can maneuver and do what he wants and everything. I think last year was just kind of that anomaly because he didn't have all his pieces. Uh, he had, you know, the, the, the sit outs, he had the injuries, but now he's got everything he wants. And I feel like he has his quarterback uh, that he can run with uh, in the future and be ready to go uh, and contend. I think really with Miami, I think Miami's kind of, uh, settling itself as kind of that other team in the AFC East to battle it out with New England. And if you look at the Patriots roster right now, they have a top five offensive line. So Mac Jones limited mobility is covered. They're going to have a great run game. They're going to lean on the running backs. So Mac Jones is going to have to carry the load. They have two above average tight ends in Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, two safety valves. The receivers aren't that great, but they have some speed on the outside and Mac Jones is going to ask to be thrown a ton anyway. Then you look at the defense. They're going to bounce back. They're going to be top 10, maybe top 5. And it's just the perfect marriage of a guy who has obvious limitations, but obvious strengths, and a team that really was just missing one player, and it was a quarterback. Mac Jones is going to mess up. He's going to do the right thing. He's not going to make mistakes. He's going to let the defense suffocate opponents, let the running game mash up opponents' defenses, and when he's asked to make a throw, he's going to make the throw. I do feel like, although the free agent class, you know, underwhelm some, people feel like they overpaid. I do feel like just the veteran receivers and tight ends and just how crafty they've always been at offensive line. Michael, you mentioned they got a lot of guys coming back uh, from from sitting out. Uh, Donta Hightower on defense, I think, is going gonna, is gonna to make them just materially better. Uh, um, just him being back alone, uh, I think it is a pretty good – just for next year, it'll be a pretty good landing spot, a pretty good starting point for, for a rookie quarterback, especially a smart one, like we said. I think the question is going to be his long-term ceiling. All right, guys, uh, let's talk about tonight. Um, of course, the Titans have three picks tonight. They, um, they have two third-round uh, picks, uh, pick 100 because of Jack Conklin as a, as a compensatory pick, but pick 53 in the second round. Uh, we've got a lot of good players left. In in a lot of years, Michael, if you go on Wikipedia and you look at the second round and you look at the first round, you've got maybe some higher-end players um, that are just, you know, some of the best players in the NFL, maybe one or two. But generally, you got as many NFL starters and sometimes pro bowlers in that second round as you do the first. There's just usually about 50 or 60 uh, good players that come out every year. There's just a lot of good football players in this country. So – we're going to see a lot of guys we know tonight, um, and we're going to see a lot of guys that are going to have a really big impact on their teams in 2021. So uh, let's talk about pick 53. We'll start with you, Landon. Um, who's your dream pick or picks at 53 for the Titans? And then who do you, who do you feel like realistically will be picking between when it comes down to it? Well, the dream pick would have to be Elijah Moore. Everyone knows how much I love him. To me, I don't think he's there at 53. I think we'd have to trade up for him. I'd be all for it, but I don't see it. 
Another dream pick would be Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma, the edge rusher. Just a guy who's been really productive, high character. But if we're going realistically, there's Boogie Basham out of Wake Forest, the pass rusher. Joseph Asai, another edge rusher out of Texas. All the safeties should be on the board. I know safety isn't that big of a need, but depending on the value, it could be there. Then offensive tackle. Spencer Brown out of Northern Iowa. Bit of a reach, but has a lot of upside. And then just all the depth at the round two offensive line. Just Jackson Carmen, Jalen Mayfield, Tevin Jenkins maybe. There's just – I know a lot of the teams at the beginning of the second round need offensive line. There's going to be a run. But someone good is going to fall. And even it, even though we have Taylor Lewan, he's getting older. He's expensive. He got hurt. We can just take the best offensive tackle available. It doesn't have to be a left. It doesn't have to be a right. Just get a good offensive lineman and count on the wide receiver depth and take a guy in the third round compared to round two. Michael, same questions for you. You got dream picks at 53 for the Titans, and then who do you think they'll be selecting from? Well, I think that Elijah Moore would be the obvious answer to that. I, I, I thought they could have draft, could have and or should have drafted him in the first round, uh, but if he fell all the way down in, to their pick in the second round, I think that would be an absolute steal. Uh, as far as realistic pick, uh, kind of what Landon said, Some several of the offensive linemen, uh, if there was a receiver, uh, I know some are projecting Tutu Atwell from Louisville as kind of being around in that area uh, as a as an option there as well. Uh, really, I, I think that I would like to see an offensive player. So it, it, at least a wide receiver or maybe a tight end within these next couple of picks, I, I think would be really beneficial because they really need to fill those needs there. Uh, I, I know that, you know, with the way the free agency has gone, they, they are kind of set uh, up a little bit better uh, on the, on the line, on the defensive line. But I really think they, they really need to address wide receiver and tight end because of the losses that they had. Uh, so hopefully within these next couple of picks here in day two, they will seek to at least, hit on one of those whether it's or a tight end yeah for me uh, obviously we dream for elijah moore to be there but if he's not or we don't maybe try to um leverage one of these third round picks and move up for him i don't know um i like the idea of getting three players tonight but if we don't come away with more i like the idea of an offensive player too and uh, maybe not necessarily a right tackle um Maybe a guy that may play a little right tackle or may swing um, between both tackle positions this year. Maybe ultimately a replacement at left tackle in the next year or two. Maybe Raddance from North Dakota State, who I really like his athleticism. Everybody knows like that I like Notre Dame players. for So Liam um, Eichenberg, uh, I just think those guys – he reminds me like of a Chad Clifton type that's going to be a really good player for a long time, maybe not great, but obviously really well-polished, really tough. So – there's uh there are some good tackles. I don't know if they'll be around at 53. That would be ideal for me because I just love a continued investment in offensive and defensive lines. Um, but you know, two years ago we just took the best guy on the board, and that worked out well with AJ Brown. So that's my hope is is that we stay patient and do that same very same thing. Uh, receiver in a later round, um, I sort of like because I just feel like. Um, 
there's just so many good receivers in college now. And if we've done our homework the best we can in this environment, that maybe we could find that guy and then we could just take uh, whoever just happens to fall to 53 tonight. That's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, I want to thank Michael Burgett for being with us. Uh, really excited. Boy, we just love the draft. Uh, really excited to, to see um, Caleb Farley's uh, press conference and, and just see uh, learn more about him. And then we'll have three more guys tonight probably to talk about tomorrow. Until then, tighten up. Tighten up.